Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of Thin Air Podcast. This is another in a series of guest appearances by the brilliant mind of Tomas. Um, I feel that this one actually requires something in the way of a disclaimer at the beginning, in that not all listeners uh, will feel comfortable with some of the concepts that are going to be discussed. Um, We're going to explore the topics of chaos and meaning. And on the face of it, uh, the word chaos and the ideas of chaos uh, are very negative. And that is exactly the point. Um, The negative is something which is repressed very strongly in our culture. Uh, We accentuate the positive. Be positive. Think happy thoughts. Don't be negative. Uh, We really push this idea of negativity uh, outside of the realm of what the culture uh, finds acceptable. And we're going to kind of shatter that uh, taboo and and dive headfirst into this concept um, just to see what we can discover. So if you're not comfortable swimming in these waters, that's absolutely fine. We're not trying to convince anyone of anything. Um, If you would like to accompany us on this journey, then I invite you along as we explore chaos and meaning. I'll pretend it's not there. Pretend it's not there. All right. Well, I've wanted to do this for a while. because you have, at certain points in time, revealed little snippets of some of your underlying philosophy, I guess, that um, informs you on a day-to-day basis. And uh, I think primarily what is so interesting to me is that we get along so well, and I feel like we're very on the same wavelength, yet um, I guess my basic philosophy, I guess, is one of like deep connections and everything moving under some guiding flow of energy or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you're almost, it seems like a, a mirror image of that in the, uh, the effect of chaos, I guess, right. and the, uh, the unknown and the probabilistic nature of things, or I didn't even really know, yeah. I guess. So, uh, that I guess is sort of my interest is how you and I can get along so well, yet I sit in this room feeling part of this flow that has existed since the Big Bang started and is, you know, is still happening. And I know that you see things in terms of, um, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Well, let me ask you do, you, do you feel like the flow is a deterministic flow? I guess it's not so much about control or determinism Mm -hmm. as much as it's about just sort of the interdependence of all things and how beautifully that seems to play itself out. Sure. Well, I agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't wouldn't refute that. I, I agree that everything is connected to everything. I guess, um... So, first off, I'll just say that even though I kind of have, like, this belief that chaos is king or the ruler or the the main thing of the universe or whatever, even though I do think that that's true at this moment, um, I still look for clues and wayfinding things to give my life some sort of, like, story or narrative. 
So um, I call it like, I think I've talked to you about this before, like looking for breadcrumbs mm-hmm. and in this chaotic soup, like what, what sort of breadcrumbs do I pick up on and then inform or give some sort of structure and meaning to my life. And um, so the night of the break-in, you know, I think this is what I was alluding to before, is that for a year I've lived here, I haven't had any problems with people breaking into the place. And then all of a sudden there's this, like, energy or um, attitude that's Hmm. coming toward me. Like, you should really lock up. You need to be on alert. There's people coming in. There's there's been attempts at break-ins, you know, like, all of this information like be aware you know (laughs) this is coming or this could be happening and you know a week later I wake up and to these people outside trying to break in maybe that happens every night and you sleep (laughs) (laughs) yeah so I only became aware of it recently um but so I called the police and the police showed up and what I thought was interesting about the police response was that there were like five or six cops, all guns drawn. One dude had what appeared to be an assault rifle. and It was that big of a deal when they go to investigate a break-in, they yeah. bring like the SWAT team? Right. Like, hmm. and, and maybe part of it had to do with the fact that I didn't know if there was somebody in the building or if they were outside the building. Like, I didn't really know. And it sounded like there were two people. And so when the cops came... They're like, we'll go do a sweep, and they're like, send the cops with all the guns down there. And then there's one officer with his gun drawn the whole time, sitting with me at the top of the stairs. And I hear him, and they're like, suspect, hands in the air. And it's like, yeah, it sounds like they found a dude. And they're like, do not reach for that tool, I will shoot you, you know. And I'm hearing all of this happening. And I'm thinking, oh, man, there's a dude there. But I don't, at this point, I don't know where they found this person. Huh. And so then they bring the person out, and they arrest him, and he's just, he just looks, like, pretty ragged. And, like, I think it was probably just somebody who's drunk who found a way in and was just looking for warmth or yeah. maybe to take something. I don't know. Um, but anyway... After the whole thing was done, you know, I'm, it's like 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'm feeling, like, not incredibly tired. It's, it's, like, still kind of awake. And I hear this knock, and the cops come, and they're like, here, he took this. And they give me this, like, little white remote control object, and it says, Skylink Remote Temperature Transmitter. What? Yeah, and I'm like, what the fuck is this? It's like, this is all they took. And so I looked it up, and it was a, um, it's an accessory piece to, like, a $25 atomic clock radio. So it was just this really bizarre thing that these dudes took for no reason. Hmm. And so, you know, that thing happening, right, is just totally random. Random people come into a building one night and take a random object, and that's the thing that they assign some sort of arbitrary value to of what they wanted to take with them that night or the one thing they felt like we should take this (laughs) whatever but the significance to me was the atomic clock 
um, Mickey, who I went to Alaska with, has, has been crazy about time and the atomic clock and what that means to him. I'm not exactly sure because I haven't been able to have too many conversations with him about this thing. But um, he's really interested in it. Like the entire album that they're coming out with, their new album is all hmm. about like time and he has a ton of um, poetry and everything surrounding this notion of time. So I take this random event and I smash it in my brain to this other sort of significant, more significant, relevant events. And I, and I look at this random information and I try to make sense of it. And I try to be like, what could be the meaning of this? Is there any meaning in this at all? Or is this just random circumstances that happen? So I can make, you know, one of two choices, or maybe several choices, but the two choices are fuck it, go to bed, doesn't matter, or let's investigate <laughs> and see how far this down this rabbit hole I can go. So I start, um, like, looking up atomic clocks and learning about them and what the whole idea is behind the atomic clock. And are you familiar with them at all? Do you know what, how they work and stuff? At a very basic sort of level, I, mean, I know that they yeah. emit radiation at a frequency that can be measured. Right. So the cesium atom or whatever, yeah, like has cesium? this cesium. Thank you, atom or whatever. You know, yeah, like has this rate of, I think it's decay or something, and or or maybe it's an energy position. Like it flips hmm. back and forth from one energy to another at. A certain frequency, and as long and they've calculated it to be like once it's done this this many times, then a second has passed, or yeah. a minute has passed, or whatever. Um, and it's some guy's job to sit there with a notebook right. and like scratch off. Oh, that was Count. ten times. Tick 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 tick. Hit tick, the tick, signal. Tick, send tick, out tick, the second. Tick 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 <laughs> second. Um, but it's like crazy accurate to like that if you set uh, they've said something like if you set an atomic clock at the beginning of time and um, to now or whatever, it would be off by like a fraction of a second. So it's just this really highly precise hmm. instrument for measuring the very subjective passing <laughs> of time. <laughs> um, but a lot of things, you know, kind of happen in the cosmos on somewhat of a schedule. And, you know, these patterns sort of emerge and everything. I think what it sounds like you're saying is like do I see everything leading up to now as a product of chaos or a product of some sort of order is if is that the question like yeah would I say that this moment exists because of a chaotic system or because of an ordered system and I would say that both are true and it's a separation of the psyche, maybe. This is where I was sort of going with this long-ass story of the rabbit hole that I went down yeah. this night, is that I ended up, and I can't even remember how I got to it, but I started looking at, like, um, th this platonic idea. I think it was Timia, Timius or something. I don't know how you huh. say it, but it's this dialogue that takes place. Um, where Socrates describes peak experience and then 
there's a couple of other people who come in to discuss with Socrates, get sort of the nature of reality, and this one speaker, and I wish that I had better um, pronunciation skills, but it's T-I-M-E-A-U-S, I hmm. think is the name of the speaker, and that character is talking about the um, notion of the demiurge, which is the noose or the consciousness of the world and the, the demiurge I guess comes from the um, architect or the creator and so in this discussion they say that the God, the one is this perfect unordered one thing Let's just say it's everything, yeah. right? But it's completely chaotic. It has no order. It has no value because it can't. You know, it just it just is. And then comes along the from that emanates this demiurge, which is the creator that starts to that creates. You know, all of the everything that we have consciousness of. From what I understand, and he actually has this really like convoluted story about well then it was split into four parts and we have the elements of you know these things and one is spinning counterclockwise and the other is spinning clockwise and there's this whole like mechanism that huh. the demiurge has created and what I found fascinating about this story is that basically like Plato's you know dialogue or whatever with these different characters or whatever has identified the God figure that so many religions identify with as being the demiurge and is actually, um, you know, a God that has morals and ethics and values and creates things out of things. But it's actually a secondary God hmm. to the one God, which is chaos, hmm. which is the shapeless unbounded, infinite source hmm. in which the demiurge emerges and then through which we've, we are created. That's really cool. Um, in Hinduism, there, you know, in the, in the old Hindu text that actually led to, like, the Hinduism that's practiced today in India, but, like, even going before there was really a civilization there and it was just these sort of nomadic goat herders or whatever, like, out in the, you know, steeps there... Um, they were thinking about all of these kind of ideas and really the seeds that grew into the Hinduism that we have today are based around these um, thoughts about the origin of all things and the creator of all things and interestingly it's almost exactly the same story that you just told <laughs> where they have as their idea of the ultimate Backdrop, which you really can't say anything about because it's so far beyond, you know, all the forms and things that we see in the field of time that, you know, came out of it. Mm -hmm. They actually give it the name Ka, which means who. Uh -huh. And so in this whole, like, playing out, like, there's this sort of, no one wants to talk about this God because they know that it's the one that trumps everything else because everything had to have come from it. And so even as, like, the... uh 
you know, the school of thought goes along and these stories develop with more characters and it, you know, splits and splits and splits. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the gods who are in their sort of ruling state over their, you know, epoch of time or whatever, like no one really wants to talk about that dirty little secret that right. they don't really have all the power they think that they do. Mm -hmm. And even the story that, um, you know, the splitting in half and these different characteristics, um, I think like the basic Hindu story is that in the beginning there was the self and that's all there was. And its first real occurrence of anything was just the recognition that it existed and sort of like I am. Mm -hmm. And, you know, having this knowledge that it was, it felt fear because if I am here, then there's a chance that I could not be here. So there's that like instant recognition of like the duality of existence and non-existence. And so knowing that it was alone and that there was nothing to be afraid of, um, you know, it asked itself, you know, if I'm the only thing here, what have I to be afraid of? Because it's all me. And then it felt this loneliness that it should just be it. So it split itself in half. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, that kind of duality kind of interplays and chases itself. And then it keeps hiding from itself by splitting and splitting and splitting until ultimately it creates, you know, all of these right. pairs of opposites in the world. But it's that same kind of an idea. And even you go later down the you know, chain, and there's this uh, figure whose name is Kali, who is thought of as the black mother of all things. Right. And she's just this vile, horrible, terrifying mother goddess creator who is like the blackness of nothing, where like everything comes out of. And she can take anything back at any time. And she's always depicted rather like terrifyingly because it's such a right, with you know like terrifying concept. The and yeah, the flayed heads and, and yeah. But um, you know that's really interesting <clears throat> because in this culture there's definitely a ignorance and ignorance of the backdrop of things. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, Alan Watts definitely said a lot about this that. You take a white sheet of paper and you draw a circle and everyone's going to point to the circle and very few people actually think about the paper behind it. But you need that paper to draw any kind of figure. And so for a lot of our culture, it's all based on these sort of, you know, pretexts and assumptions and all of these things that we don't really look at. Yeah. And so in a way, I guess, you know, chaos could be that sort of knock on the door of the logical mind mm -hmm. that it's like, yeah, you can make all these great structures and think about all these great things, but what's behind it? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I've forgotten. I, I think you'd mentioned Ka and the translation of who before. And I, I just, I think that's so, it seems that that's what happens if if everything's emanating from let's say a source of the one and we're in a connected to that and you just declutter the mind enough then you'll remember or come to the conclusion or even you could play a logic game and then eventually get to <laughs> the game of logic that's like oh there we are <laughs> And I don't know, maybe chaos is a, a not a good word for it, but I kind of like it. I personally, just as an aesthetic, this, this feeling of like a, a benign chaos. I think sometimes hmm. chaos from a semantics point of view um, is synonymous with like 
only destruction or only you know t the, the the antithesis to order so you know it it has sort of this feeling to it that like it's it's a negative thing or it could be a negative thing but i don't necessarily see it that way i think that hmm. chaos is an is this actually really <laughs> beautiful ripe fertile ground for any possibility and and it's more comforting to me actually to think about the universe as being in a state of chaos than it is being in a bounded structured finite deterministic state there's certainly a lot more po possibilities and potentials when you don't have that yeah border when you draw the border you it seems to signify an end and i think maybe it's just my intrinsic fear of death as a mm -hmm. human being that like i love the idea of the the ever expanding or ever emanating or ever constantly evolving whatever you know just the the opportunity for that anything to be possible as opposed to drawing a line and saying cause and effect equals 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 yeah. and we will have solved the equation and we will find at the end of the day that nothing matters <laughs> <laughs> punch out boys we solved that one yeah well it's also interesting that you were just talking about like the negativity and i guess part of what so interested me in your in your thought process and views on this was sort of that negative connotation that it has but then what i was thinking about is you know we just talked about kali as sort of this negative principle and really uh the female has always been equated to the negative principle like when you have the yin and the yang mm -hmm. the male is the positive the female is the negative and it's like the negative space in a drawing. It's that, you know, a negative space in a drawing is some place that the pen hasn't gone yet. So there anything could exist there. And it's and it's sort of I don't know if it's a if it truly is like a fear of that sort of um, you know, unknown and like uncontrollable sort of force, but uh one thing is for sure is that um this culture has completely pushed the negative out of the picture to the extent that I mean in the old mythologies there was the creator goddess who really was the counterpart to any kind of you know positive principle that might have existed and now uh, really I mean the female is given this sort of bit part as not being you know part and parcel to the whole things coming into existence but just sort of being an agent here and now to you know, have babies and maybe support the structure that's already there. Mm. But, um, you know, we even say in this culture, like, accentuate the positive mm. and don't focus on the negative. Like, the negative is something that we feel we must, like, push against and uh, almost conquer in a sense, mm -hmm. which is almost a historical statement of what has happened to women in society. Um, and this isn't so much like a gender thing as much as it is like a you know, the, the chaos, sort of in the way that you're describing it, to me sounds like a concept that I have really enjoyed, which is the concept of the void, mm -hmm. um, you know, in Zen Buddhism, where, uh, you know, that's one of the most difficult meditations that you can really do is sit there and see all of this amazing stuff and just how weird it is and how novel and just strange and then really try to come to terms with, well, what would there be if this wasn't here? 
if the universe wasn't this strange arrangement of little orbs floating out in space around these suns and like because really it could have been anything and the fact that it's this is just so mind-boggling and weird <laughs> but like that meditation on nothingness on what you know everything yeah what would what would life or i mean what would reality be if there was nothing mm-hmm. like that kind of a concept yeah and uh i mean that's one of the most fertile you know uh realms of exploration and i had this idea a little while ago that really plays into this that um i i had this moment where i was looking at my guitar hanging on the wall and it wasn't being played. I mean, maybe there was like a vibration in the room or like air going, so there's like a subtle vibration in the strings. But like in a strange way, just because that guitar had these strings stretched across it, like all the music that anyone could ever dream up of or compose with those, you know, scales is somehow like right there. Like if I invited Maxwell Hughes over, like right. he could pick this up and all of a sudden here's his music. It, yeah. But like where where is it when it's not being played? Yeah. And so to me it almost like felt like this doorway between the here and the now and the physical and what's happening and this void of infinite arrangements and possibilities and all these things. And so I guess, yeah. I mean the creative force that you described just a moment ago. Uh, is sort of that ability to work with nothingness to almost discover what it is capable of or something like that. I I liked what you said about the negative spaces, um, you know, to put it into that pen and paper analogy again, it's, you know, nothing exists there and then you can move into that space and fill it with something, you know? which I think does speak to the feminine and masculine forms, you know. Mm-hmm. That you have the vessel and the object that fills <laughs> yeah. the vessel, you know. There's, it, it's really kind of remarkable how, like, these abstract ideas and these symbolic ideas and everything have expressed themselves physically in, through mm-hmm. our, in, into our biological forms as well. And I think then that, that tricks us sometimes into making it a male-female thing. And, you know, we get confused about our gender and we start to identify with being of one form as opposed to the other form. Um, I would argue that I think that we, because we are manifestations emanating from the one, that we possess all of those qualities within us and that our fortunate or unfortunate biological manifestation can um, can tilt our psychology or consciousness in a way where we um, start to confuse the fact that we're not wholly one or the other, that we possess both within us. Mm. <clears throat> and it's really interesting now, you know, like in the way that our Western modern, let's say, American culture is needing to confront ideas on um, how people identify with gender and how people identify with sexuality and how people identify even with like the roles that we've so easily slipped into as a sort of theatrical performance (laughs) of this duality. 
And now that that duality is sort of breaking down and becoming a little bit more blurry or gray, uh, you know, we're seeing all of these types of uh, expressions that are happening that are kind of trying to um, blur those lines more hmm. and more. That's a really interesting way to think about it. Because while while you were talking, um, I was just like staring at that chair, and just sort of thinking about it in terms of like, is that male? Is it female? Is it positive? Is it negative? Um, and I know that's kind of a weird thought, but what kind of struck me was like the only reason I can even see that as something mm-hmm. is because in my field of view, it's bounded by this perimeter of things that I identify as it not being. Mm-hmm. And so even with, like, the genders or ourselves, like, presumably that chair, you, are an embodiment of everything that that one was, but in order to see it or think about it or do anything with it up here in our brains, there has to be, like, a separation. And, you know, one of the things that I have really taken to heart is sort of this almost secret knowledge that everything that you can define can only be defined in comparison with other things to the extent that they really create each other so our definitions of masculinity are going to create our definitions of feminine femininity Mm -hmm. because it's only where those two interface that we can really tell what the difference is and so when you talk about like this blurring line i mean in an to an extent you know it's like to take that chair and blur your eyes to the point where now you know i don't i can't really tell where one chair begins where the other one ends and and it is more of that sort of um, you know, holy state of affairs where everything is just everything and it's all interconnected and there's a certain like sense of beauty to that because I think that probably is more close to the base of what all of this really is. And, I mean, you can go as far down that rabbit hole as you really yeah. want to go. But, um, you know, the practicality of that situation leads you to stub your toes a lot. <laughs> and... Um, and that's kind of what is sort of happening in culture is that we don't want definition. We don't want that white page to be marked on because we want it to be anything. Um, but as a result, uh, I think it is sort of a, I, I never use the word truth, but um, it is sort of a product of a system or a set of arrangements that once you've sort of defined things, you can start working with it. And you have to know that your definitions are purely yours that you came up with, and they're not really truth. They're not really, you know, this is what a woman does. She cooks dinner, and a man goes out and kills the boar, or, you know, whatever. Like, right. great, if that's what you've invented as your convention, you know, you stick to it, and now you can build a society around it. But in a sense, you know, you start breaking down the lines, and um, it really almost hinders the artistic ability uh, I know that we kind of had this other sort of talk a while ago, but I was sharing this like this this concept of the power of limitations, where I was just sort of reflecting on the fact that, um, again, using music as an analogy and that guitar hanging on the wall, uh, all the music that we hear today on the radio and you know played in concert halls and all of these things are in the West an arrangement of the same twelve notes just played in different ways. But all of the scales, all of the chords, all of the rhythms and harmonies and everything, it's just using these 12 notes. It's like having a box of 12 crayons. Mm -hmm. 
But because someone at some point in time said, this is how we're going to set up our instruments. This is the tunings we're going to use. This is, you know, all of this type of thing. That allows now for the understanding and the uh, structuring of the system against itself to create these relationships. I guess it's all about relationship Yeah, is what I would, I guess, boil that all down to say is that if you don't have definition you can't really have relationship and everything is relative Mm -hmm. so but i guess um you know again tying it back into like the chaotic principle uh and maybe that's what has always interested me about your world views that to me it almost seems like by not ever um creating a line on that page or just saying it's all the page it's all chaos Mm -hmm. that man who broke in you know just there was no i mean i'm not i'm not trying to put words in your mouth but like you know it just all came from this source that is unwieldy and and everything like that i guess that that to me seems like a a difficult place to really know where where you are on the page I think that we're pretty much aligned in the way that we think about the way that we see the world. And I think I'm just responding to the nature of reality, understanding that my demiurge is an illusion and fictitious and totally arbitrary and that it's um, it's really uh, it's a temporary thing and okay with the idea that there's going to be some of those thought, some of those ideas that are going to get like washed away when I die <laughs> and, or when I reach enlightenment or fucking whatever I mean I don't I don't know exactly how but on an intellectual level I understand that there's a that ka there's that chaotic realm there's that void there's a space in which all of this is sort of draped over it as a really beautiful and crazy awesome thing (laughs) and I don't and I think maybe there's also sorry if you I'm kind of getting long winded here but I also think that there's like something to be said for you know in my progression through this like oh well all of this is transitory all of this is just temporary it doesn't mean anything it's got um, no real value because it's just an illusion Hmm. that that statement on the face of it sounds really terrible and almost nihilistic in a way because you start to like if, if you don't give anything any meaning it seems to imply that it has no value Hmm. but I really like the idea that through meaninglessness there's still great value to it you know like 
you can still get really caught up in the beauty and the subtlety of things and really enjoy the fuck out of it <laughs> and know it doesn't mean anything. Or you can play little games with yourself and give it meaning and then create these fun little stories around it and then tie it up at the end of the day and be like, yay, that was a good story. Next one, yeah. you know? And I'm sort of okay with that now. Before, it was really fucking depressing. It really bummed me out. So I'm curious, if you were to have a chance encounter with someone who saw meaning in everything and just, I mean, the whole world is this perfect, meaningful expressance of some creator's intention or whatever that might be mm -hmm. in their head, but... You know, you're sitting across from them and they're seeing in every word you're saying and every, you know, fiber of your yeah. clothing, like they're seeing meaning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who's right? Well, they are. I mean, in that instance, <laughs> they are correct. Really? Yeah. And that's their experience. I guess that's what I was driving at. Yeah. Is is sort of the the notion that I've really taken into me lately. Um, that if I sit here and I decide that that pillar has meaning, and look, we're in a Masonic temple. Everything in this room has meaning to somebody. Right. Right. But I can walk through this room and I see colors and I see chairs and I see these things there's no meaning to me right exactly but someone can walk into this room and they can just recognize this you know the symbolism this whole thing and it does something to their psyche and they feel how their whole life is or yeah. I, don't, I mean i don't even know what that experience would be like right but i mean when you're trying to define the universe it almost seems as varied as the people that are yeah. thinking about it absolutely yeah i would agree with that I, you, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. I think, like, these things don't... I mean, it means to me, <laughs> at least in the, like, small me, like, apparition of Tomas, that <clears throat> this has significance to the Masons or to the Order of the Eastern Star. I'm going to respect and care for it, make sure the place is locked up, and nobody gets in here to mess it all up or you know any number of things so th there's like a weird tangential meaning to me that you're a custodian of meaninglessness yeah like <laughs> whatever this meaninglessness this meaningless thing is that you're doing i respect and hmm. i give you uh the courtesy of doing i'm gonna you know i'm not gonna tread on that shit <laughs> I'd like walk all over it and disrespect it or be um, ch put it to a challenge. I think what's um, interesting about the like the way that philosophy in Nietzsche's like nihilism discussion is that like yeah, life is meaningless. Sort of basically was the thing. But what was so cool is that at the end of Nietzsche's whole point of what he was saying, from what I understand anyway, I mean, I'm not like some expert on this dude's thought or whatever, but he gets to this point of saying like, 
once you've passed through that whole veil of meaninglessness and you've come out the other side, you identify a certain moral responsibility or you you know you 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 find yourself in a um having to define relativistic moral rules for yourself that meaninglessness does not equal immoralness mm -hmm. that there's still morality in meaninglessness mm -hmm. which is kind of cool and hopeful hmm. and re I think there's actually a great deal of freedom that comes from view viewing the world as being meaningless because <laughs> then I mean like and this is just my own like sort of you know soapbox moment I guess but I really do think like if if the totality of the world really believed that like we're all emanating chaotic source puppets <laughs> and that we're all just dancing around together at like with each other I could assign a great deal of meaning to <laughs> something and have fun doing it have a great time <laughs> and then it could come to a point where I would say you know I really 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 care about the livelihood and happiness and peace of my family and I'm going to nurture that and take care of that because that's what matters to me and I'm not going to get so bent out of shape about this other person who doesn't want to do that. Hmm. I mean, I guess it's like when you start to draw those lines and on the page and then you become so beholden to them, then you open up um, the potential for a really unnecessary conflict. Hmm. So I'm, I'm, I don't know, feel from a soapbox like keep those lines blurry. Let's <laughs> not be so, uh, well, so hard fast on It's interesting. Um, I, can, I can hear and see in my mind like a particular moment when Joseph Campbell is giving a lecture, but he very impassionately puts the view forth that life has no meaning. Mm -hmm. You know, what's the meaning of a flower? You know, what's the meaning of a tree? Like the, the question itself can't even stand up to the, you know, the language that's trying to ask it. And from that perspective, I completely agree that the meaning uh, is really, and it's so funny too, I love when these like weird moments, like meaning, the word mean means like the middle. It mm -hmm. means the sort of everything's been weighed and it's sort of the average, right. you know, the mean of things. And so like the meaning of any given object is sort of like you've weighed its all of this stuff and you've kind of come to this like value a value is a it's a weighted position against other 
position. So when you're like doing a painting, the value is the darks and the lights. It's really the same thing that we've been talking about this whole time. Right. It's like how much does this stand out and how much does this you know recede? Is it the paper or is it the ink? Mm -hmm. But again, in that same way, I mean, the value. I mean, everyone has their own values, and in a, in a to an extent that almost obliterates this whole uh, image that we've had of this sort of white paper with the black drops because to someone you know the black ink might be valued differently in their approximation that the ink is the beautiful thing and it's the damn paper that's getting in the way that ink just wants to drop you know like so I don't even really know what I'm getting at other than this agreement that there is a real liberation when you can live your life without being sticky to the words that you use and the thoughts that you use to understand it um, the the thing that I still just sort of feel strangely is the is the notion that um, there's no other place that you and I could be than right here because there's no other place that we are and there's only one place and it's here and now and we're here and somehow this moment this conversation this mm -hmm the air that's moving around us, every part of that is part of the same process that has been in continual motion. And I completely agree with um, the, the view of things just continually getting more complex and more, you know, beautiful. I think what the world wants most is just to surprise itself with the next thing. I mean, these crazy phones and ever, all the stuff that we're using, I mean, all this stuff has been here on this planet for the last four billion years, but all of a sudden it's in this new arrangement because it, I mean, and, and that just keeps happening. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, feeling ourselves as part of that flow is where I, it, it does like really twist my brain to feel like there isn't a, and I don't want to use the word purpose or meaning or any of those things because it's not quite that as much as it is some way in which it makes sense and it doesn't make sense to me logically it doesn't make sense to me even emotionally or anything like that but there's just those certain moments that I've had where whatever the reason whatever the circumstances it's just that feeling that there is not a grain of dust out of place in this whole thing and it's completely chaotic but it is completely balanced with itself yeah. and um yeah, I don't know. I guess at the end of the day, um, uh, I had a professor that used to say, the eye sees what the mind is prepared to find. And then I heard someone more recently say, and I just love it. It was you. I think you said this on our, on our walk, that to the world or to a, to a hammer, the whole world looks like nails. Mm -hmm. I think that was you who said that. I've been thinking about that. And I think that that to me is at the core of this whole kind of ideas that I think that we can, you know, talk about and think about and get to these sort of weird logical conundrums where it's like I have the this and the that, but I know that this is creating that and I know they're all backed by something else that I can't think about. And you can like get into these weird like thought circumstances that the, you know, the human brain physically can't process. It's like divide by zero type of thing. Mm -hmm. But then on the other hand, it's sort of that recognition that, you know, we've had this conversation and I'm going to get up and I'm going to go about my existence and now I have these new things that you've said that I haven't thought about before and even maybe some things that I've thought about now for the first time that as I move forward from this spot 
the, the world, you know, this room that we walked into is completely different, is completely changed in its character and its meaning and all of those types of things. And it is completely disconnected, I think, from its actual physical itness, but it's completely dependent on my feelings and my thoughts and everything else as I interact with it. So at the end of the day, I think that is almost the most uh, beautiful expression of the creative principle. And again, in that, uh, that mythology of uh, Hinduism, the, the whole idea is that that one self just wants to not feel like itself. It just wants to be surprised. It wants to go on adventures. It wants to love. It wants to hate. It wants to have wars. It wants to build skyscrapers, whatever. Like it just, you know, it, it has that yearning for experience and not just experience, but experience that actually feels out of control. Um, and I think that's really the kind of almost the heart of it. Uh, Alan Watts has this really cool thing where he equates that philosophy to this concept of, you know, what if you could dream any dream you wanted to every night, and that dream could last a million years, it doesn't matter, a thousand years, whatever. Every night you just have complete control over reality. And the question is, what would you do? And he kind of walks through it and it's like, you know, we'd, I'd probably start by just filling every carnal instinct and need that I have. I would have you know, great orgies and banquets, and I would you know, entertain my sensations for flight, and I would, you know, visit all the great places of the world or whatever, but I'd do that, and I'd do that, and do that, and, you know, if going on long enough, like, that's going to get boring, you know, especially if you know that it's you that's doing it. So, eventually, if this goes on long enough, like, the thing that you're going to want to, you're going to want most is that feeling of being out of control, because it's only really there where there's, like, that risk and that excitement and that reason, you know, to be doing anything at all. And, you know, this goes on long enough and that creative power, whether it's you dreaming and wanting to get lost or God himself, herself, itself, you know, finds itself sitting in these chairs feeling that they're awash in chaos and order and all the things in between. But, I mean, I feel like that is the best summary of the true creative whatever it is, and even just call it it is sort of a, you know, <laughs> a missing of the point, but that in your ability to walk into this room and then leave with it as something different is the fullest expression of the creative force that is underlying everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. I think there's um, something really cool about being human because it is sort of like putting on a <laughs> suit, like a space suit. The word, the word "man" also means mean. Does it? Yeah, it's <laughs> like that's like the same root. It's that the man is at the mean. He's at the center between heaven and hell and everything between. Like you're always right in the center. Yeah. In your spacesuit. <laughs> yeah. In this like funny spacesuit and it's like, well, I can only see so far and I can only hear so much and I can only feel in this degrees of sensation and there's just like all these um things that sort of limit 
the like just the visceral experience of reality and but then we have this great imagination to be like wouldn't it be cool if you could fly like a bird <laughs> or hear like a wolf <laughs> whatever <laughs> you know and like <clears throat> being a a human something i find a lot of comfort in too and i think understanding like that connection to an emanating source as as a part of it but like also like the suit that helps to define hmm. like you were saying that I love that idea that you know without us here yeah this isn't there and vice versa you know like we're we're slamming together to create this exchange of the moment of being and uh it's kind of cool being a human being I think that as human beings we maybe like make up stories about these omnipotent consciousness that can know everything and be everywhere and see it all all at once and on the one hand like that's kind of a cool idea but I also sort of imagine what would that be like really <laughs> It probably wouldn't be how we understand, like, the layout of your house or yeah. the how to drive a car <laughs> or, you know, any, any of the knowledge that we have as people, the way that we filter that. I think that that sort of omnipotent, everywhere at once, knowing it all kind of ex feeling would just be more of like a sensation then it would be knowledge yeah, or consciousness. You know, a sensation has to have a sensor. And, like, what could even make, you know, how could you imprint that on any, any consciousness? Right. And my mind immediately goes to, like, this room that if we weren't sitting up here, it would just be in darkness. Mm -hmm. And just the knowledge that you can go in as far as you possibly want into any of these objects and never hit bottom mm -hmm. that you could take a scanning electron microscope or whatever you wanted to do and just go so deep into one thread on that mm -hmm. you know tapestry on that chair and never hit bottom and like if it's that deep in that one spot yeah i mean when you add up everything and everything going on in all the places that we're not and knowing how small this little planet is set against this whole like that to me is where that sort of divide by zero moment kind of happens and it's like yeah you just complete seizure like it just <laughs> yeah. does not make sense <laughs> you know yeah and yeah 
I was thinking just for a moment, like it's interesting that when people build computers to generate 3D imagery, the only way that we can do it with the technology that we have currently, and it, it keeps getting better, is that you draw a room and you kind of render it and everything, and you have these textures and things that you can load, but you're not loading the textures of the entire room. Right. I mean, it's it's like this is the view, and we know how to like trace these rays of light, and we're gonna put okay, you're close to this, so you get the texture here, but that, I mean, there might be a file somewhere that stores information, but it's not all there and accessible until right. like you actually make the call. To like get that information out, right? And I just wonder, sort of like open-endedly, if you know the universe almost works in that same way. That you know that that chair is not even anything until I go over there and start messing with it, and then in that interaction, I'm actually like evoking out of that yeah. ultimate consciousness this like endless thing that you can never really hit bottom in. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. weird. Yeah. Because I think you're right, the kind of the normal concept of God is sort of as this like supreme technician who knows how everything works and can orchestrate all of these things. But um, I almost lean more towards that idea of the dreamer dreaming. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, uh, like in lucid dreams, one of the challenges is to keep the thing going. And you can have this moment where you're like standing in a place that you know is all in your head but then like it starts kind of fuzzing out at the ends and you're like ah oh, no I gotta hold on I gotta keep it going mm -hmm. and there's like these tricks that you can do to kind of like keep that whole thing going but it's that's the exact same reality as this reality really you know mm -hmm. like in your dream you can create a chair and you can go up to it and you can interact with it and you can look at it and get closer and closer and closer and your brain keeps providing the new information mm -hmm. that is needed to keep the whole yeah uh you know you said it earlier um illusion mm -hmm. uh you know keep that in front of you and i don't think it's a coincidence that in um hinduism and in sanskrit uh, the word Maya, which is actually the name of my dog for this reason, uh, Maya means like magic. It also means illusion, but the root Ma mm -hmm. is also the same root as measure and mother and mater and uh, all those sort of uh, even like the water, like um, marine and all these types of things. Mm -hmm. But this magic comes from our ability to measure, and it's the illusion that things actually exist that all comes from our ability to to measure it and to you know have this kind of interaction with yeah. it the fact that i can lay down a little you know something and say like this is this long this is this high and now i've got its number i know what this thing is mm -hmm. uh creates this idea that when i leave this room this is still going to be here because i've interacted with it in the past yeah but once this atom does this frequency <laughs> this many times i will have known something has happened. <laughs> Alan Watts also has a funny little moment where he talks about the universe, mm -hmm. and universe means one turn. Like, mm. uni one verse is like a re revolution turn. And he says, it's the universe, and it's your turn now. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Any final thoughts? <laughs> We've definitely covered some ground. Yeah. That was fun.
People say that what we're all seeking is a meaning for life. I don't think that's what we're really seeking. I think what we're seeking is an experience of being alive. The mind has to do with meaning. In here, what's the meaning of a flower? What's the meaning of the universe? What's the meaning of a flea? The, uh, it's just there. That's it. And your own meaning is that you're there. Now we are so engaged in doing things to achieve purposes of outer value uh, that we forget that the inner value, the, the rapture that is associated with being alive is what it's all about.